Romans 7, 14 through 25. Quite possibly uh, one of the most um, well-known sections in Romans. Uh, and again, just jumping right in, building on what we saw last week, uh, you see your main point there, and that's what Paul is putting forth here. And that, that's the answer to what we see here. That believers must recognize, and you see it there in your handout, the reality and the power of indwelling sin. That, that's the point Paul is going to make here in not only vindicating the law, but explaining our current situation. That there remains the reality and power in every believer of indwelling sin. That though we have been declared righteous, the power of sin still exists within us causing us to do the very thing we don't desire to do. And this must be dealt with moment by moment. There's a battle. And what Paul is doing here in Romans 7, he's continuing what we saw last week in vindicating the law. The issue is not with the Mosaic law. It's indwelling sin. And Paul takes great strides here in Romans 7, 14 through 25 to contrast the goodness of the law like we saw last week, specifically in verse 12, to that of the fleshliness and the, the reality of indwelling sin. And, and there's lots of debates that go on with this, within this passage, and, and for the sake of our time and for the sake of our study here, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. Entire sermons could be preached arguing from whose perspective is Paul speaking here. And, and I think no matter which one you take, you end up at the same spot. I have strong convictions about what this text says. I have strong convictions about what perspective Paul is speaking from. I'm not saying I'm absolutely right, but, but, I, but I am saying I've studied the text strongly and I'm convicted about where I am. And, and again, this is one of the most... In your, when you go to your grow groups, if you want to debate what perspective Paul is writing from, knock yourself out, but don't divide over it. Right? You can argue about it, but don't divide over it, because the point of the text is still the same. And again, this is one of the most famous texts in the book of Romans, but it's also one of the most controversial. Verse 19, For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. That's probably one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible, probably one of the most wrongly quoted verses in all the Bible. It probably should have made the cut when we did our series on context, and we look at eight of the most abused passages of the Bible, verse 19 falls in there. And, and here's how we quote it. We quote it, in a, in a, in a, and forgive me here, we quote it to excuse our laziness as a Christian. We quote it to excuse our lack of war on sin. Well, that's just who I am. I don't do what I want to do, and I don't do, do what I That's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul's not using verse 19 to excuse sin. Paul's not using verse 19 to excuse a lack of war on sin. What Paul is getting at here in, in this section is that he is a divide, he, in some ways, he's a divided man. And look at verses 15 through 18. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. You see the division there? You see the inner turmoil? But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin, you see it? I'm not the one. Sin that dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. That sets the stage for 19. You, you see, you get a flavor there with Paul of that inner turmoil, that inner battle that rages within Paul. And the issue becomes, what's the source of that battle? What's the source of that turmoil? Paul's opponents would say, it's because you've abandoned the law and you claim all this grace stuff. See, if you'd go back to the law, you wouldn't worry about that. It's, it's, it's your idea of grace's fault. It's the law's fault. It's, and, and Paul is saying it's sin's fault. There's a battle going on. And, and here's what we must realize. You see it on your handout. Even though we have, as believers have been gifted God's righteousness, we've been declared righteous, sin remains a very real influence in our lives, causing us to not do at times the very thing we want to do. And the challenge is, and I think, I think our lives would attest to that, and we'll get to it in a minute. The challenge is God has declared us to be righteous. And yet, that's positionally. We, de- we, de- we have been declared righteous. And yet, practically, day to day, we don't act righteous. We sin. And there's a gap there. And, and this really flows from what Paul has been saying this whole time in Romans about the gospel. The issue is righteousness. The the issue in the gospel is really credited righteousness. I mean, that's how you got to Romans 7. In chapter 1, 2, and 3, he he made the case that, that, again, all are guilty of sin. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile alike, the wrath of God is currently justified upon you due to sin. That, That through the law no one will be declared righteous. And then in 3.20, he says, but now, apart from the law, here it is, the righteousness of who? Of God has been manifested, right? Not a righteousness of flesh, not a righteousness of you doing it on your own, not a righteousness that you earn on your own. The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed in the law of the prophets. Right? And this is a righteousness that God credits. You see it on your handout. The fact we must comprehend is that in the gospel, someone else's righteousness is being credited to us. It's gifted. And, and this creates can create in us a tension. It's not our own. It's an alien righteousness, if you will. From outside of us, that in, 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 in declaring us righteous, God it justifies us. We saw that in Romans 3, 21 through 26, that, that Christ act was the propitiation for our sins, that he, he satisfied the righteous demands of God, that God credits us with righteousness. He, Jesus takes our sin. This is the gospel. Jesus takes our sin. We get his righteousness. Thus, God can forgive us. Thus, because Christ paid for the sins, thus God can dwell with us, as we just saying. Thus, we can dwell with him because we're righteous now. We've been declared righteous. But practically, we still sin. Practically, we still struggle. And, and you see it on your handout. Paul's answer to the greatest human problem, namely our sinful guilt before a holy God and, and a just God, is this. That God himself, through his son Jesus, has provided his righteousness for us. This was Romans 4, 5, and 6. He says, but, the one who, but to the one who does not work, but believes, 
in him who justifies the ungodly, it says his faith is what? Credited. That's the word. Credited is righteousness. Just as David speaks of the blessing on the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. It's faith. And the gospel really is the good news that God has has provided a righteousness to us that is not our righteousness. And he credits us with that righteousness through faith, not based on our ability to keep the law, not based on our ability to do enough good. He credits that to us. And, and really, faith is looking away from our own deeds. It's looking away from our own performances of the law and, and seeing a, them as really as a hopeless way to be justified. Listen, you can't be good enough. What he's saying is you can't be good enough to merit God's favor. You can't be good enough to earn God's righteousness. You've got to look to Christ. That was really the curse of the law, as we saw in Galatians 3.13. You can keep 99.9% of the, of the laws perfectly. If you fail, James 2 says, if you break even one, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. That's the curse. You can't do it. You need a righteousness to come from outside of you. That's the gospel. That's why Romans 3.21 says, but the righteousness of God. God is providing the righteousness to you. It's his righteousness, not yours. And, and this is where Romans 10 is going to be huge. And this is where Israel, the nation of Israel, if you will, and, and many even today, fail. Listen to Romans 10. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God, for, to God for them is that for their salvation. For I te- Listen, I testify to them that they have a zeal for God. They got an energy for God. They, they, they are active but not in accordance with knowledge. Listen, here it is. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who what? Believes. That's really the the choice all of us in here have to face. Am I going to seek to establish a righteousness of my own? Am I going to seek to do enough works to be righteous on my own before God? Or am I going to accept by faith God's righteousness through Christ? That's the battle. And and you see that's where faith comes in. Because, listen, all other religions are, say, work hard and try to do enough good to merit enough good to, to get God to accept you. And really, if we're honest, that's what our flesh thinks is reasonable. Our flesh gravitates to that. Do enough good, do enough good, do enough good. Try to get your good to outweigh the bad and see if God will accept you. And yet, over here is Christianity that says you'll never do enough good. You're totally unrighteous. Lay all that aside and accept gift righteousness. Apart from works. Totally against our flesh. Totally against everything that our culture prides itself on. Pull up the bootstraps, work hard enough, go get it, earn it, merit it, warrant it. You deserve it. And God says, it doesn't matter what you do, you'll never deserve it, you'll never be perfect. And God, in in the place of your sin, He offers you, in Christ, He offers you perfect righteousness. 
And, and we say it all the time. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. There you see that word again. Again, the gospel is God's righteousness accomplished through Jesus Christ being credited to our account. We repent of our sin. We admit our, our sin. We give all that. We cast all that upon Jesus. And in, he gives us righteousness. That's the glory of the gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Only he would accomplish that. And that's what Paul has been saying all throughout this book. And chapter 7 fits in to that because Paul has to vindicate, again, his attitude about the law. He's got to vindicate his, his approach to the law and really vindicate the law of any wrongdoing. And that's what we saw last week. Again, look at verse 7 of Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I wouldn't have come to know sin except through the law. What the law did was simply expose our sin and even aggravated our sin, if you will. You, you see there on your handout, the issue is not with the law, but rather that even though we have been declared righteous by God through faith, we still have a capacity to sin. We have the ability to sin. And the law, the law not only exposes that sin, but it, but it aggravates it and brings it out. And what Paul is saying here is, is that, listen, believer, the issue is not with the law. The issue is with indwelling sin. It's sin. The law, the law is not the problem. Look, look at verse 14. We know the law is spiritual, but I'm of flesh. You see the contrast? Look at verse 16. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. The law is not the problem. Look at 22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. The whole point of the law, again, was to reveal our, our utter sinfulness. That we need a righteousness from outside of us. The, we saw it in Galatians 3.24. The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. To look for someone to be righteous on our behalf. And God did that in Jesus Christ. And Romans 7.14-25, you see it in your handout, continues this vindication of the law by showing sin is the issue. But it does so in an odd way, and this is where the debates come in. And again, like I said, it's okay to debate it. It's okay to discuss it. We should not divide over this because I think we see the, content, the text says what it says. If you want to talk about that in your grow groups, I'd say knock yourself out. I think it'd be good. But the question is, why didn't Paul just leave it alone in verse 12 when he says, So then the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Why would Paul go on to show this divided man? Why would he go on in verse 19 to say, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the very things that I want to do? Why would he end up in verse 24? Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And 
And I think the point is, and this is where I'll tell you, I believe that Paul is speaking about himself as a Christian here. Okay? Listen, as I say that knowing that many, 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 many men and women have written many, many, many books that say otherwise. A lot smarter than me have sold a lot more books than me, which, by the way, if you've sold one book, you've sold more than I have. Probably ever will. Don't agree with that. I think he's writing, I think he's writing from the perspective of a saved Christian here. That being said, I don't think Paul is saying that we should settle in and coast with worldly living and this defeatist mentality towards sin. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I don't think Paul is saying, saying, oh, well, be a lazy Christian and just accept your sin. I don't think Paul at all is saying here to make peace with our sin. I think Paul is saying here, make war with your sin. I think what he's saying here is defeat is not the only nor the main experience of the Christian life, but defeat will be part of it in the sense of you may lose the battle to some sins. And and I think if we're honest, listen, if we're honest, every single life in here as a saved person would testify that some days we lose the battle over sin. And I agree with what J.I. Packer said He says this, Paul is not telling us that the life of the wretched man is as bad as it could be, only that it is not as good as it should be, and that because the man delights in the law and longs to keep it perfectly, his continued ability to do so troubles him acutely. Listen, as a Christian, as a person who has been declared righteous by the grace of God through Christ, listen, I don't want to sin. I hate my sin. And yet there are moments when I find myself sinning. What do I do in those moments? Where do I look in those moments? I think this passage, when viewed rightly, has a tremendously practical and helpful uh, solution for all of us on a daily basis. But listen, you're going to sin. Some of you may have even sinned just trying to get your kids here. Right? Some of, some of you said, oh, wretched man that I am, I can't even get my kids to church without thinking bad thoughts about them. Some of you might think, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want and I do what I... Let me give you four examples that happened in the car on the way here to church this morning. And, and Paul, Paul is, is again... Paul's tendency may have been, again, to look back to the law for his righteousness and to look away from Christ from the righteousness. He's saying, I don't want to do that. And yet I find myself doing that. Listen, how many of us have not, in a way, at some point in time, find ourselves looking to a resume of doing and trying to say, that's what justifies, that's why God loves me, instead of simply looking at a white piece of paper and there's one word. Your resume as a Christian has one word on it, Christ. When you're looking for righteousness. He is the source of my righteousness. Not my preaching. Not my, not my, listen, not my Bible attendance. Not my Bible reading. Not my giving. Christ. Now listen, as a righteous man, do I do those things? 
Yeah, but I do them because I have been declared righteous, not to try to be or attain righteousness, right? You see the difference? And, and again, I hate my sin. Why? Because I've been declared righteous. I belong to Christ. I've been rescued from the domain of darkness. I've been transferred into the glorious, marvelous kingdom of light, Colossians says. I, I, I don't have to do that. He, sin is not my master anymore, Romans 6. I don't have to submit that. I have the power of the Spirit living in me, believer. I don't have to submit to sin. And yet, I don't experience continual victory on a day-to-day basis, moment to I sin. And you see it on hand, what Paul is saying is not that Christians live in continual defeat by sin, but that no Christian lives in continual victory over sin. Are we in a, in a, in a practical day-to-day nature? Christ has defeated sin. I have been declared righteous. When I die, listen, I will get a glorified body. I'm promised of that. But in the day-to-day moments, I've got to put away sin. And, and listen, I, there will be times where I fail at that. And the issue, the issue is the indwelling sin that is still in me. It's not that we're okay with sinning. Okay, that's one extreme that we just, well, I, I, I'm just going to, it is what it is. I'm going to sin, so I'm just going to do whatever, and I'll plead grace of God. That's one extreme. Over here, listen, it's also not that we ever will be perfect on this side of eternity. Do I pursue it? Absolutely. Do I want to be? Absolutely. But those are the two extremes. And, and listen, I know people, I've talked to people in the last month that fall into both extremes. They've just thrown in the towel and just don't even fight sin. And then over here, they say, well, I don't sin anymore. I think those are two wrong extremes. And I think Paul is showing us, Paul is giving us great wisdom here and comfort to say, listen, when you fall short, when you sin, listen to what Paul says. Look at verse 22. When you sin, when you fall short, this is what you say. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Here's what you say. I love the law of God. God's standard is good. And you go to verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing that which I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. I hate what I just did. Then you go back to verse 24. The realization, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Right? We deliver. Listen, I long to be delivered from this body that constantly threatens to kill me. I long to be free from the battle of of not having to mortify sin daily, moment by moment. And Paul's answer, who will deliver me? Look at verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is my righteousness. The point is, listen, when you fall short, it's not be okay with your sin. It's when you fall short, 
And listen, this is huge because all of us will fall short at some point and we will sin. And when we do, this is how we respond. We admit that God's law is good. We admit that we're not our own source of righteousness anyway. We admit that we're wretchedly sinful and we praise Jesus for his righteousness, not having to earn our own. Because that's not how we respond. If we're honest. We typically, as a body of believers as a whole, we respond by lying about our sin and acting like we didn't. We respond with hypocrisy, like we're not as bad as we really are. We, 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 we respond by posing as if we're better than we are, pretending. We, 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 we live in this, try to put off this appearance of perfection. And I would say, by the grace of God, please, God, by your grace, deliver us from a church like that. Fake smiles, fake superficiality, fake blindness to our own failures, quick to judge others, because we won't deal with our own sins, so we're quick to judge others and theirs. I pray that God would give us an honesty and a candor and a humility with regards to the reality of the battle of sin in our lives. Not being complacent about it. That's not what Paul is saying. But being gracious when we fall because our righteousness in Christ and being gracious even one another and helping one another to look back to Christ. Keep our eyes on Christ. He's our righteousness. And again, I, I think Paul is saying this is the, this is the battle that Christians face. And, and you see it on a handout, and I want to explain this. The reality for all of us is that there's a gap between who God says we are in Christ and who we are practically, right? There's a gap. We've been declared righteous, and yet we don't practice perfect righteousness on a daily basis. We sin. And this is clearly what Paul puts forth in chapter 8, verse 1. Why does Paul write? Think about the context. We'll get there in two weeks. Romans 8, verse 1. In the midst of this battle. In the midst of this battle. And I say that because I'm not here next week. Um, not that we're going to spend another week on this passage. Don't worry. Don't worry. Paul's talking about this war that rages within us. And this war that sometimes we're going to lose. On a, on a practical, tactical basis. Right? And then listen to what he says in Romans 8, 1. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? When you fail, listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Repent, get your eyes back on Christ, and keep moving. Amen? Because your, your perfection isn't the source of your righteousness anyway. Your self-righteousness is not the source of your righteousness. So when you fail, listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see how Paul's argument is flowing? Romans 8.1 is the answer to this battle. Who will deliver us from this body of sin and death? Jesus Christ will. He already has practically. One day he will permanently. And I long for that day when our fathers don't die like Marty experienced this week. I long for that day where we don't have to make the tough decisions that the Curtises had to make. We live in a fallen world. 
And we'll see in Romans 8, we're not there yet. Creation groans, our body groans, everything groans, just just as Daniel's saying, because we're not who we will be fully one day in Christ. We're not, listen, we're going to drive somewhere next weekend, and here's the question my kids are going to ask me 20 times. Are we there yet? That's really the answer to Romans 8. That's what Paul is saying. You ain't there yet, believer. Keep hoping. Keep hoping. Keep hoping. Look, look, at, look at 8 real quick, just for quickly, just so you know. Verse 8. We long for, we eagerly wait, verse 23, for our adoption. Have we been adopted? Yes. And yet we eagerly wait the consummation of that. The redemption of our bodies. For in hope, listen, in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. That's really part of the reason why we're gathered here today. To encourage you to eagerly wait for it. Keep waiting. And while you wait, trust Christ. Listen, and when you stumble and fall, trust Christ. When you stumble and fall, look to Christ's righteousness. And be thankful for Christ's righteousness. Right? Those are the... Again, and Christians, Christians get beat up over this all the time because they'll look at our churches and say, oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites, you're a bunch of sinners, you're a bunch of this. We are. And, and here's the, but here's the beauty. Because of the Holy Spirit, I'm more aware of my sinfulness than they are. I'm more aware of my sinfulness now as I've grown up in the Lord and grown up in the Word. The struggle is this. I know I'm more of a sinner today than five years ago. That's the struggle. The more I look at the word, the more I see how in so many ways, at so many times, I don't line up. Who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Jesus Christ. Amen? And when I stumble, Romans 8.1, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of death has set me free. From the, it goes on to say, Look at verses 20 and 21. I am doing the very thing I do not want. I, I, when I, but if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it. But what sin that dwells in me? Listen, the battle, guys, is this. Even though we've been saved, there is a battle that remains to be fought with sin. There is a constant battle with, sin, with our sin nature. This is why discipleship is so important. This is why hiding Psalm 119, your word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not, say it again, amen. What, what helps me defeat sin? The word. The word richly dwelling in me, Colossians 3.16. I get filled up with the spirit. The spirit himself has been given in me. Why? One of the reasons, to put away sin. To put away sin. And, and the challenge for all of us, if we're honest, is this. That gap between who the Word says we are and who we are practically can drive us crazy. If we do not learn to handle it rightly, if we do not learn to see it rightly, it will drive us. If we do not not learn to respond rightly when we sin, it will wreak havoc on us individually and as a body. And, and again, this is exactly the point I believe Paul is using to make with regard that the law is not the issue. The law is sin. 
Listen, and if we're not honest that indwelling sin still presents a problem, listen, we won't read the word, we won't pray, we won't, we won't, because we don't see it really as an enemy. And Paul is saying it's an enemy. And, and the challenge, understand the challenge, Paul is proving this, that the law is not the issue, it's indwelling sin. And the objector, because his objector, listen, would have said this, and they say it still today, look at Christians, look at what grace has produced, look at the church at Corinth, look at the church at Laodicea, look at the church at Odessa. See, if you just went back to the law, that wouldn't happen. You're just a bunch of sinners. You fall short. You don't love the law enough. And, and again, they would say, we told you, Paul, turning away from the law and turning to grace, we told you that's what it would produce, and look at it. If you just followed the Mosaic law, you wouldn't get that. Even though, listen, have they read their Old Testament? Have they seen what happened with Israel? It's not about the law. It's about sin. We need new hearts. And Paul is, again, saying it's not the law. I, I, I love the law, he says. The law is good. Romans 7, 7, Romans 7, 12. The issue is indwelling sin. And every single point in this section, Paul compares the goodness of the law with indwelling sin. At every point, it's like a battle. It's like a volley. The law is good, but, I'm sin, but I still have remaining sin. The law is good, but, but it's me. The law is sin, the, the battle. And you see it on your handout. Even though we have been redeemed as believers, sinful desires remain in our bodies that must be battled. Indwelling sin is the issue. Paul speaks to it multiple times in here. Verse 17, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 20, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present within me, the one, the one who wants to do good. There, there's a nature in you, believer. We have this new nature in Christ, but we have this old residue of that old nature and sin, and that's the battle. Listen, even though the war has been won with Christ, don't lose sight of that. The war has been won by Christ, but the issue becomes which nature will you give into on a daily basis? And, and I would argue to you, whichever one you feed is going to be the one that wins. And, and again, even in Romans 6, Paul says, you have been set free from the law. Uh, from the law. You've been set free from all that. He, goes, he says, for the death he died, he died once and for all. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Pract positionally, we live there, but Paul says in 6.12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The point is this, why mention that if that wasn't a real possibility? Even though sin positionally is not your master, practically you can go back to it and allow yourself to be a slave to it. That's the battle. 
You can allow yourself to be enslaved, believer, to the one who is not your master. That's the battle. And Galatians 5 speaks very clearly almost the same exact language. And, and again, this is part of the reason why I believe he's speaking as a Christian here. Even in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is speaking to believers and he says, Are you not still fleshly? Jealousy and strife. As a believer, you can act fleshly. And, and listen to what he says in, Rome, in Galatians 5, verse 13. What time is it? For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. If that weren't a real possibility, why would Paul speak to it? But through love, serve one another. The whole law was fulfilled in one word in the statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Listen to what he says, verse 16. Here's our battle. Here's our constant battle. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. Does that not sound exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 7? But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. That's the battle. And then in verse 19 he, through 22, through 21, he shows you, hey, look at your life. Here's the evidence that you're living by the flesh. Beginning in verse 22, here's the evidence that you're living by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I would say that Paul, again, Paul is saying in verse 14 through 25 of Romans 7 that that's the battle. A, you're not a slave to sin, but you can submit yourself to sin. You can allow sin to win the battle. We're, I mean, Romans 6, we're freed from that. But, but, it, but Paul says it's possible that in a momentary basis and on a day-to-day -day momentary basis, it's possible that, that you can give in to sin possible believer that you can give in to sin even though you're not a slave to it i think i think all of our lives as even as believers would say that there can be a moment of failure where sin gets the upper hand almost like a slave master who temporarily gets the upper hand on somebody who's not truly his slave And again, even in, even in Galatians 5.1, back to that, Paul says something even more striking and helpful. He says this, It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Why would Paul say that if it wasn't really a possibility? I would argue that's exactly what was going on in Galatians 2 when Peter is living one way around the Galatians, around the Gentile Christians, and then when the Jewish Christians come around, he starts doing something totally different. You know what Paul does? Paul comes alongside and rebukes him, calls him a hypocrite. It's possible. It's possible that we, we could go back to slavery, in a sense. Uh, not, uh, not positionally, but practically, temporarily, if we're not vigilant on a day-to-day -day basis to fight sin, it's possible that sin can get the upper hand on us. 
And I think Paul is saying this, I'm carnal, I'm sold under sin. When I give in temptation and do not do what I want to do, I know that that's, I've temporarily been mastered by sin. I've temporarily gone back to that which doesn't own me. And when it happens, I repent. When it happens, I go back to the law. When it happens, I, re- I admit I'm not a finished product in Christ. I'm not there yet. And again, this is where the call for sanctification comes in. This is where the call for the Word of God comes in in our lives. This is where the call for discipleship comes in our lives. That we would, 1 Peter 2, that we would grow up in respects to salvation. That, that while I sojourn in this temporary body, I would become more and more like who I will be completely one day. That I close the gap. And if we don't, get, if we don't learn to deal with that, Right, there's going to be some, there's, there can be a hopelessness that comes about if we don't learn to deal with this right. And, and again, Paul is saying, here's how to navigate the troubled waters. Here's how to navigate that divided man if, or woman in you. This is not an excuse to sin. You see it on your handout. The point of this text is not that we should make peace with sin, but rather that we should make war with sin. And we saw that in verses 21 through 23. In this war on sin, listen, we will fall short and suffer defeats, but the hope of Christ is that these defeats are not eternal and these defeats are not the end of the story, right? That's, how, that's what Romans 8 says. For I am convinced that nothing is able to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ, neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor angels, nor any other created thing is able to separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus. Paul is talking about how we fight. We fight our sin knowing that we we may suffer temporary defeats, and when we do, look to Jesus. And again, the re, the, you see it in your handout, the real battle with loving the law and hating what we do doesn't end in salvation. It really begins in salvation, right? When God gives us a taste, when God shows us what we could be and the power there. Now, like I said earlier, I hate my sin more today than I did 10 years ago because I'm more aware of the capacity. I'm more aware of, of the gap. As we grow up in the Word, as you hide the Word in your heart, as you see a a clearer and clearer awesome picture of God, you realize just how much we fall short. Just how much we need a righteousness outside of ourselves. And as a believer, listen, the fight gets harder. We now have an enemy who prowls around, again, looking to devour, who is opposed to us. And and even within us, the Spirit is in us, and it conflicts, and even attitudes. Sometimes it's not even what you do, it can be what you think, or what you feel, and you know it doesn't line up with the Word. Where's that coming from? The Spirit. You have this baseline of the Word in your heart, and you know you've departed from the baseline, and the Spirit convicts you. We're more aware of our sin today than ever. That's why Paul would say, this wretched man that I am. Non-believers don't talk like that. Christianity, listen, is fighting your sin like never before. But here's the point. You don't do it through your own strength. You do it through the Word and through the Spirit. Indwelling sin must be put 
to death. And there will be times when it suddenly captures us. There will be times where it suddenly makes us slave makes us slave to it before we know what is happening. You even see that in, in Galatians 6, chapter 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught up in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Did that mean you're not a Christian? The test is, do you love the law? Do you hate your failure? And you see it on your handout as we close. The... the Really, the difference is our approach to our sin. Remember that there is a world of difference. A difference that I would say is between heaven and hell. Between a soldier who experiences tactical defeats but keeps fighting on his way to victory and a soldier who surrenders to the enemy because the war is just too painful and the enemy territory is just too attractive. That makes sense? There's a world of difference between the man or the woman who suffers a temporary tactical defeat and gets back up and keeps fighting and the man and the woman who suffers a a defeat and just stays on the ground and says, you know what, I'm going to put down my weapon and I'm going to live in a foreign world like the foreigners do. There's a world of difference there. There's a world of difference, listen, between the divided man of Romans 7 and a sellout. There's a world of difference between the person who fights their sin and hates their sin and the person who just gives in to their sin. A world of difference. And my plea and Paul's plea is this. Don't be a sellout. Christ will one day fully deliver you. He will set you free fully. Listen, as painful as it is to lose a father, Marty's father has been set free in a way that you and I are not. And even there, in, even there, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, we weep, but we weep with hope. Why? Because one day, we long for that day when this temporary body is gone and I get a new body and I don't got to worry about sin anymore. But that only comes through Christ. And this is why, again, this is why believers hope in the resurrection of the body. Deliverance is coming. That's why I read Romans 8. Listen, you see it the lastly. Ultimate victory is coming one day in Christ alone. But until that day, listen, fight your sin. Until that day, fight your sin. Keep fighting. No matter how many temporary defeats you face, Christ died for those defeats. And sanctification is this, that there become fewer and fewer defeats and more and more victories, right? As we grow up, there's fewer and fewer defeats and hopefully more and more victories. But until Christ comes, even then, our hope is Christ. Christ one day will deliver us. That's, again, that's my great fear for any of us is that we would lose our, that we would lose our, fix, our, 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 our focus on Christ. Who will deliver you, O wretched man and woman, from this body of sin and death? Say his name, Christ. And until then, listen, fight your sin.